Hello and welcome to Digital Photo Magazine's weekly podcast, covering everything you need to know about the world of digital photography. My name is Matty Graham, I'm Managing Editor at the magazine, and with me as always is our Technical Editor, Matt Higgs. Hello. Hello. So Higgsy, it's getting cold in the UK, but what have you been up to over the last seven days? Well, I made the most of the weekend of the really nice light and a nice crisp, dry autumn day, and when I took some deer photos, I was testing out uh, Tamron's new 150-600 to G2 lens which is going to be in uh, a review of it's going to be in a future issue of the magazine and I went and took some snaps with that which was great. Fantastic so did you get some good shots? Um, Well I'll let you be the judge of that but um, (laughs) I think I've got some images that I'm quite happy with yeah it's a really nice lens. So did you get sort of just normal gears or get the stags what happened? A bit of both bit of both Um, I mean where I went I went to Bradgate Park in Leicestershire there's several different uh, breeds of deer there and um, breed species yeah probably And um, yeah, so uh, got got all different shots. There's some really nice ferns uh, at the minute, which have all kind of got these autumny colours. They're all starting to die off a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got some really nice kind of compositions with the deer in in the middle of all these ferns, and um, I've got some shots that I'm quite happy with. Any rutting? Any rutting? There was a little bit of rutting, although um, seemed to be from the younger ones, which seemed to be pra- practicing more than anything, uh, taking each other on. Um, yeah. As soon as it got a little bit too rowdy, a, a much larger deer kind of came along and shoved them both out the way. So, um, <laughs> like a, a deer bouncer. It, it was like that. It was like that. Yeah, just shoving them around, telling them to break it up and stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I've been really busy too. I was shooting at one of your favourite locations over the weekend, mm. the National History Museum. I do in love London. it there. Yeah. Um, now this is an amazing location, as you well know. You've shot there, uh, but there's there's one famous shot that everybody tries to get there, and it's from the top of the main hall, isn't it? Um, you know, the home of the big dinosaur skeleton. Yeah. Now. The problem was is that um, a lot of this area was uh, roped off, so they must be sort of doing some refurbishment there. Yeah, it was last time I was there. So I was desperate to get this shot. Uh, So I had to, like, find an alternative route. I was up and down sort of fire escapes. I was in and out of corridors that I'm not sure I should have been in. So the next time I go in, there's going to be a poster on the wall with your face on it, like, do not allow this bloke in. (laughs) There may well be. Um... But eventually, I made it up there, and I got that shot. And it is an incredible view, isn't there? Mm. Uh, I mean, the brickwork, uh, the structure of the different stairways, it's just a the fantastic... The architecture is amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a composition dream, isn't it? Um, so this got me thinking, what are your favourite places to shoot in the capital? In the capital? Yeah. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm quite a big fan of like street photography. Yeah. So places like Brick Lane uh, and Shoreditch, uh, Portobello Road, places like that. You know, there tends to be a lot of characters hanging yeah. around these areas, and uh, that can be great for some uh, some kind of candid street shots. Um, and then I guess other spots that I quite like, I, I always seem to find myself on the South Bank. Yeah. Kind of taking a walk down there and taking some shots of the London Eye and that. Um. I mean, I, I think you sport for choice in London, to be fair. There's so much fantastic architecture, whether it's the older stuff or, the, or you know, the, the newer kind of skyscrapers and stuff, um, tower blocks and that. You know, there's there's so much opportunity for good imagery. Um, do you know what? It's, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I think all the locations that you mentioned were fairly trendy places, fairly new architecture. I tend to shoot the older stuff. Um, so Trafalgar Square... Mm. Um, Buckingham Palace. St. Paul's. Yes, St. Paul's is a great example. Um, And I don't know what it is. I mean, it must be, everyone has their own sort of tastes and what they like. Um, And I I tend to gravitate towards, you know, the older sort of brickwork, uh, older sort of structures. And it's interesting that you go for the newer stuff. Mm, mm, And people. 
In people, yeah, I don't like people. <laughs> don't, don't want anybody in my pictures. <laughs> All the kidding. Cool, should we do some news? Let's go for it. Okay, so it's been a busy few weeks for Nikon. About three weeks ago, they pulled the covers off the new EFS Nikko 7200 f2.e. Now, bear with me, there's a few more letters. <laughs> FL ED VR lens. So, this is going to cost UK photographers £2,649, which is a lot of money. But then, this is top, top quality lens. Higgs, you shoot Nikon. What's, yeah. what's your thoughts about the new 7200? Yeah, I mean, like you say, this is a, a really popular lens and one that I use myself a lot for a for kind of arena shows and yeah. festivals and things like that. Um, I mean, it's not been too long since some of the, the, the latest versions of this lens were out, so I think it kind of took a few people by surprise. Yeah. Um, but kind of ha- taking a quick look across its spec sheet, there's been some real kind of improvements in it. I think there's a, been a bit of a reduction to weight. There's some new lens coatings, which are going to help protect it from, uh, from dust and dirt. Yeah. Um, a shorter um, minimum focus distance. Um, so I think kind of across the board, if this was a lens that people were considering anyway, it's just got a whole lot better. But it is expensive, isn't it? It is, but professional glass always is, isn't it? True, true. <laughs> Are you going to dive in? Um, uh, it's funny you say it. it is. It's probably the next lens that I will purchase for myself. Wow. So, um, yeah. Good stuff. We need to uh, get you a peer rise then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, great news about that lens, but uh, Nikon weren't done there releasing new products because they've gone and launched a new camera too. Uh, so a few days ago, news broke that the D5600 is hitting the shelves. In fact, it goes on sale in the UK on November 24th. Um, so... <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to talk about. It's 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 not a huge update as such, but there are some quite cool um, features on here. Uh, so there's a 24.2 megapixel DX format sensor. That's the crop sensor. The Xspeed 4 image processor, which is the same processor, I think, in the is it the D4, D5, one of their flagship uh, cameras. So this is, you know, a heavy-duty processor. Um, and there's also an always-on Bluetooth connection, isn't there? Yeah, so it incorporates uh, Nikon's SnapBridge technology, which is um, a piece of technology which they seem to be incorporating in just about every device at the minute. Every upgrade that they do, this is one of the new features on it. And um, it allows you to kind of pair up uh, through a a low kind of energy consumption connection um, your smart device and your camera so that without kind of uh, manually going in and transferring images, um, JPEGs are kind of transferred to your smartphone for for quick upload to social media and stuff like that, which obviously in this digital age where people want to share their images as quickly as possible is um, is great news for users. Good stuff. Uh, other specs to mention, it's got a 3.2-inch uh, touchscreen uh, LCD, which can be flipped out and rotated away from the body to help compose for you know easier angles. And, mm. you know, 3.2 is huge, you know? It's, it's a big old screen. Um, the D600 is also shoots... Uh, D5600 rather, shoots full HD video, uh, a new time-lapse function, which is uh, pretty cool. And cost-wise, there's two options, I believe. It's the 18-55 kit lens uh, bundle, which will cost UK photographers 799 Or if you prefer the bigger zoom, uh, the 18-140 VR, you'll need to pay £989. So, I mean, it sort of straddles that sort of area between... It's not entry-level. No. 
but it's not sort of uh, semi-pro. It's it's probably high-level sort of consumer. Yeah, advanced beginner kind of yeah. um, uh, enthusiast, I suppose, is what you you describe it as, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, but you still get you know a lot for your money there, don't you? Mm. So. I think it's a really nice, um, you know, along with their entry-level models, a really nice point for people that are just starting to kind of embrace DSLR photography and the, the you know, the benefits to image quality that you get with that. Um, it's a really nice device for them and um, kind of perfect timing coming up to Christmas, I suppose. Absolutely. Okay, that's enough of news this week because we need to tell you about the bumper gift special that is our December issue. So this is out, uh, still on sale for a couple more weeks and it comes with free mono Lightroom presets, free 2017 calendar templates, a free ice reflection kit, a free autumn borders kit, and you, you know you also get 70 minutes of video lessons, all for 4.99. And if you head over to greatmagazines.co.uk forward slash dp and take out a subscription, then you can get the magazine delivered to your door for just £3.15 an issue. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Right, well, we're doing something a little bit different this week because we have a guest in the studio. Ben Davis is not only contributor for Digital Photo, but is also a professional wedding photographer. So we thought we'd give you, the listeners, a chance to ask him anything you want about the world of wedding photography. We invited our Twitter and uh, Facebook communities to send in questions, and you didn't let us down. So, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Are you ready for some questions? I think so. Good stuff. Okay. As I say, we asked you guys to send in the questions, and the first one comes from Susanna Bentley, and she says... Don't you wish Photoshop had a remove embarrassing relative tool? <laughs> that would be quite a powerful filter, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. We should suggest it to Adobe. Yeah, I think so. In the next uh, round of updates, I don't absolutely, know. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, come on, you must you must have had situations where you've had an embarrassing relative. Well, nearly you? every wedding has one, usually like a, a show-off uncle or something like yeah. that. But, uh, so as the as the professional, how do you get around that? Uh, well, sometimes it's just people management a lot of the time. So, you know, you have to play up to them a little bit rather than taking that sort of strict headmaster approach. You know, it's a fun, relaxed day at the end of the day. So you want people to enjoy themselves and you let yeah. them have that little moment of show off. And then you discreetly put them in their place or ask them to move to one <laughs> side or, or get the shot where they think they're being the class clown and they've had their fun. And then you yeah. say, right, OK, thanks very much. Now, now for a boring one for me, or something like that. Yeah, that sounds good. Because at the end of the day, you know, it, they're there at the wedding to have fun, but ultimately, you need to get the right pictures, don't you? Yeah, I've got a job and some pressure to to deliver the pictures that people are expecting. So yeah. uh, there's the balance between sort of easing it into a you know a fun, relaxed day where everyone's having fun and not really noticing the photography, but still getting the pictures that are gonna please the clients at the end of the day. Good stuff. Okay, well, thanks for that question, Sarah. That was a good one to open with and, and good information there as well, Ben. So let's go on to the next one. This is from Joshua Summerfelt and he says, um, okay, well, you talked about sort of stress and pressure. How do you handle the stress of demanding wedding clients? So I think he's talking about not your normal sort of clients, I guess the bridezillas that are out there. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. I very rarely come up against real demanding bridezillas. Very occasionally you get some people who can be a little bit more stress themselves whether it's sort of you know they're anxious or even the waterworks come on and things like that but the key is just to smile relax just be positive and it rubs off on other people you know sort of you sometimes feel a bit like you're part of a, a focal point for the day for people and they're looking to you sometimes for guidance or for instruction during certain moments and it's just about not panicking staying relaxed staying positive and smiley cracking jokes and just you know just staying upbeat and and with 
clients that are particularly demanding. It's just listening to them and, and yeah. making it seen that you're listening to them and, and really taking on board what they do have to say because at the end of the day, they're hiring you. It's what they want. Um, and so you've got to sort of bend to that to a certain extent, but still use your experience to guide them towards what's going to be the best outcome for their day. Do you know what, what's really interesting about your answer there is that um, you said about your effect on the uh, on the wedding. And people aren't just hiring you for your skills and composition and you know for your uh, kit they're hiring you for your attitude as well aren't they because if, if you were you know an amateur and you're flapping and you're panicking that's going to rub off on the bride she's going to get really anxious whereas if you're calm cool collected all of the above um <laughs> which I'm sure you are, um, that's going to calm the bride down and reassure her. And then I guess you're going to get, the, the payoff of that is you're going to get some more natural pauses, aren't you? Yeah. And I think a lot of people also comment when a wedding photographer is viewed as being good or proficient, they're seen as more of a guest in the way they sort of blend into proceedings. Yes. And while still being kind of front and centre to the day, um, they're not sort of distracting or getting in the way too much. They're sort of going with the flow of, of the wedding and of the day. And, uh, good stuff, good stuff. Okay, uh, well, let's do a different question. This one is from uh, Kia Parker, and she says, what's the worst kit disaster you've had at a wedding? Ooh, kit disaster. You must have had a few in your time. Yeah, um, s nothing that's gone completely off the rails. Sometimes you have problems with, say, off-camera flash using during the first dance where the triggers go to sleep or the batteries die midway through and you've got to cut across the dance floor or you miss out a few moments since while you're frantically trying to swap out those triple A's which is yeah. why you should always put fresh ones in before you start but it doesn't always happen <laughs> especially if you think they were fresh last time they're still going to be pretty fresh today <laughs> <but>. <laughs> so it's cheap Amazon batteries sorry can't slag off Amazon <laughs> but um, <laughs> the thing is as well is um, it, that's, a, that's a great point about preparing kit uh, because you know as you said there's no second chance and uh, you know especially with like the first dance or the first kiss or you know mm -hmm. sort of things like that so how do you prepare your kit in fact let's go on to the next question because this is from Malk's story and he says um, talk us through your kit bag so what are the essentials and how do you prepare your kit uh, for me, the essentials are two camera bodies. People often ask me why I've got two cameras around my neck at a wedding, uh, simply because I don't have to change lenses so often. Yeah. If you're changing lenses between sort of long and wide or whatever you're doing, you're going to miss key moments. So I've always got one uh, Nikon D800 on my left side with a, a wider lens on it, either a 35mm prime or a 24 to 70 zoom. It's going to give me that sort of quite wide coverage. And then on the other side, I've either got a 85mm prime, which is pretty good for sort of portraits, and also because it's got such a wide 1.4 in dark churches and things I can really open it up to get that light and avoid camera shake or alternatively I go for the 70 to 200 lens on that side which is good for candids picking people out of crowds yeah. and things like that sort of zooming in on, on details and things so those two cameras with either of those lens combinations on my side Batteries are always fully charged, memory cards always formatted and ready to go in the, in the right order, in, yeah. my, in my pocket, ready to switch out when I need to. But I mean, a lot of them, I've got a lot of 64 gig cards so I can shoot for nearly the whole day without needing to, to change cards, which sort of saves time and means you don't miss moments as well. And then in the bag, there's um, a few uh, flash guns along with sort of triggering stuff. And then a macro lens for sometimes getting sort of close up of ring detail or things like that. And then the other two lenses that I've not got on the bodies at the time oh, sure. just to switch up sure, the system yeah. if I feel it's going to work better for that day and what about any sort of kit that uh, isn't necessarily photographic kit but is essential to you like you always pack um an extra battery for my phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because often using it for the, the sat nav to get there in the morning or something like that. Or there are 
quiet periods when they're having they're sitting down to eat and there's nothing for me to photograph i'm going to be having my dinner perhaps checking through a few pictures on the back of my camera but also just looking at my phone you know just distracting myself for the day so that battery can go pretty quickly yeah um always some uh, a bit of water some lucasade something like that a bit of food usually you get fed but sometimes you do get forgotten so a pack of sandwiches is essential good stuff good stuff okay i think we've got time for one more question um this was from Stephen Pierce, and he says, "Having just uh, shot a friend's wedding, I would love to ask how you deal with people, uh, man- people management, and getting people to do as you ask them to do." So we touched on it earlier, but go on. Uh, well, again, staying sort of calm, positive, jovial, smiley. Yep. A smile gets you a long way, even a little sort of cheeky little smile sometimes. But also getting people in the wedding involved as well so perhaps if i need to gather up certain family members and i've got no idea who you know uncle bob and auntie eileen are yeah but you know cousin cousin gary does so you know you get cousin gary involved and he's then sort of responsible he's got a job to do to sort of bring these people into the fold and get what you need and again when you're organizing other sort of bigger events like a big group photo of everybody or like a confetti moment give the ushers something to do because they've got not much else to do for the rest of the day so you know get them involved and get them to help out with instructions of what needs to happen uh, and if not that just don't be afraid just to take control just just be sort of loud and positive and just get everyone's attention for a minute explain clearly what you need and things just go pretty smoothly good stuff okay well ben thanks so much for your time where can people see more of your work uh on my website it's uh ben davis wedding photography.com excellent find me on there. good stuff thanks again pleasure nice to see you So that was cool hearing from Ben, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy knows his stuff, that's for sure. Don't tell him that. He's <laughs> eager. will go through the roof. Headed. Good stuff. Okay, let's get on to some reader questions where you, the listeners, send in your camera conundrums and your photo problems, and Higgsy and I try and solve them for you. So the first one is from Nicola on email, and she says, what's the best way to clean my sensor? Well, I mean, I guess this kind of comes down to how confident you are with kind of uh, accessing probably the most vulnerable part of your camera. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if if you don't like the idea of opening up your camera and starting to mess around with swabs and, and fluids, then there are lots of companies, first of all, that will do this kind of thing for you yep. and uh, give it a really good clean. Um, so different camera retailers and different uh, independent people will all happily clean your camera for a fee. And they're quite reasonable. Um, if you're going to do it yourself then uh, kind of look at companies such as visible dust and, yep. and things like that um, buy some of the kits that they sell on their website and um, they'll give you step-by-step instructions to, uh, to give your sense of a good clean yourself um, what do you recommend what would you do well I'd actually type it out on my reply uh, what's the best way to clean my sensor I put carefully in a proper kit so I think <laughs> I, I think you've um, you, you've done the long answer to that uh, essentially <laughs> but you're right you know use use the right kit because you know while you look might look at some of the better products and you think, oh, they're a little bit more expensive, mm. it's worth paying that extra money. You're about to clean the most important part of your whole camera. Don't cheap out and buy something that's going to break it or scar the sort of it, sensor. You know, at the end of the day, it's worth it for the time you save as well. I mean, yeah. I, I've lost count the amount of times I've sat there when I should have just cleaned my sensor, um, kind of uh, cloning out bits of dust and stuff on an image, and it's time-consuming yes. and it's boring. Um, so, yeah, you know, suck it up, buy some cleaning stuff, and uh, get that sensor cleaned. Good stuff. Okay, on to the next question. And this one is for you, really, Higgsy, because you were in Spain uh, last week uh, with the Olympus. It said, uh, this is from Gordon, and he says, I enjoyed hearing about the Olympus EM1 Mark II in the podcast last week, but can you tell me what it's like for video? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's putting it simply, uh, 
It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it shoots cinematic 4K, so it's better than the Ultra HD stuff that some cameras kind of claim as 4K. Yeah. Um, it's got inputs for um, uh, an external microphone and also for headphones for audio monitoring, so you get some great sound quality with it. Yeah. With the five-axis image stabilization, you can get some really smooth uh, handheld shots, so you get some nice, um, you know, kind of professional-looking footage. Um, and I think for, for users that are kind of considering um, a smaller bodied camera with the intention of filming video, this is some, certainly something that they should uh, be checking out. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? That 4K, it's something so tiny. Mm. It's just It just blows my mind. I mean, you know, this is good enough to film broadcast quality. You know, 4K is, is if you put it on a massive screen, it'll still look amazing. Definitely. And and a lot of the studios do use yes. cameras now, yeah, SLRs and CSCs, you know. Yeah. If you're creating a big budget uh, production and you want to kind of get some shots of that explosion or whatever, if you're spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on a big action scene, what's a couple of K to, to shove a camera in and record it? So it's a testament to the quality, though, that they interlace these shots taken with CSCs and DSLRs yeah. with uh, with the, the footage they capture with great big video dedicated setups. Absolutely. And actually, you know, who notices? I don't, certainly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, well, I think that answers that question for you, Gordon. If you're after 4K quality, then the Olympus EM1 Mark II could be for you. Okay, last question. This is from Roberts, and he says, you've got £100 in your pocket. What lighting accessory would you buy? Um, so I think I'd probably spend about fifty, sixty pounds of it on something like the Laster Light Easy Box yeah. or the Speed Light uh, Box. And um, what these do are, you know, the on-camera flash can be quite harsh. Yeah. Um, so if you use an on-camera flash. And uh, you you want to start creating some much more pleasing light effects and less contrasty kind of shadows and lighting. Then something like the Easy Box is just going to diffuse your light a bit and create much um, more pleasing results. Results that are a lot more flattering for portraits and stuff as well. Yeah. What about you? Um, so I jotted down an Octobox, and everyone's I think it's going to out there listening is going to say, well, they're going to cost more than hundred pounds. But actually, if you look hard enough, there are companies out there that will do a great big Octobox. Uh, for less than £100. It might be used, or it might be a third-party company, but an Octobox is slightly different from your normal sort of softbox um, because of the spread of light that it gives, and they're usually a lot larger as well. Mm. And, of course, the larger the softbox, the the bigger the spread of light. And, you know, whenever I've done studio stuff, I always, always get better results with an Octobox than a normal sort of softbox. Um, so it sounds like something they should quote in their marketing. Matty Graham, <laughs> I always get better results of an Octobox. There you go. I do, though. I do. I honestly <laughs> do. I, I think I, there's, there's something, it's hard to describe, but it's a more professional spread of light. And, you know, that's what photography is all about at the end of the day. It's how you use that light. Um, and, of course, when you're using flash, it's, you can't really pre-visualise how the flash is going to look unless you take a test shot of course whereas if you're outdoors you know you can see how the natural light is falling and how you can manipulate that light but for an octobox in the studio i always find you just get better results and i always try and put it quite high as well and really sort of replicate the angle of the sun mm -hmm. so shot down on 45 degrees down on a subject uh maybe use a reflector to bounce some light in and that's the other thing i'd say if i had any change left over from the octobox um I'd buy a cheap reflector. And, you know, reflectors these days, they're going for, what, a fiver, ten pounds for, you know, yeah. a fairly good-sized one. I actually use um, a Lasterlite version of the reflector. I think it's called a Triflector because it's got... Um, 
almost it's got three corners basically and a handle at the bottom and what i find with a normal circular reflector is that while you can, if you've got an assistant they'll be able to bounce the light in and that'll be absolutely fine but if you're by yourself and you've got the camera in one hand and you're trying to sort of bounce some light in with the normal circular reflector yeah it's really hard yeah no I've, I've used them before as well and you're exactly right you know they're so much easier to use uh, when you're there on your own camera yeah. in one hand triflector in the other uh, yeah i think you talked about change as well i think if i uh, with my spare change what i'd probably buy is some uh, wireless triggers yes because the you know the creative possibilities that being able to take your flash off camera uh, opens up or even you know if you're shooting in studio light like you, uh, the ability to not be wired up Absolutely. To, <laughs> to some studio lighting and actually give you the freedom to move around a lot easier. You know, f f for flash triggers that are worth 30, 40 pounds, I mean, they've got to be one of the best buyers in, in the industry, I reckon. Good stuff. And if you're interested in lighting kits and you want to check out uh, some more reviews, head over to www.dpmag.co.uk and check out our tons of reviews that we've got on there well that's pretty much all we have time for now but we'll be back at the same time next week many thanks to Ben again for coming into the studio and you can make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a show we'll see you next time see you later yeah.